This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And we are back on the beat for the first time in a while, as a matter of fact. We have taken a couple weeks off. It was always planned in and around Christmas, I'll be honest. Had planned on doing some shows from San Diego. This would have been two weeks ago, right? When the women's basketball team was playing in the Invitational out there. And, well, I didn't really fully think that part of it out because, you know, San Diego is San Diego. The weather was exceptional. The time difference was three hours. So to get a show done, I would have had to either do it at four in the morning local time or the night before. And you know what? Just wasn't going to happen. So we're back on regular time. We have, of course, women's basketball to catch you up on and men's basketball as well. There's another sport that's going to start next week. That's right. A couple actually. So we'll tell you what's coming up. And of course, we've got plenty of football news to catch you up on from the last couple weeks. A lot of staff to run down, some former staff members of USF finding new homes and Oh yeah, some former players that have found some interesting new homes, so plenty to get to. We're not going to be able to cover everything that happened during the last two weeks in one 30-minute show, but we'll skim through it and actually give you a couple of comments from Coach Golish from his press conference after signing day. Yeah, there was a signing day. It involved 16 new Bulls. You can get all their names and bios at GoUSFBulls.com. Interesting that five of them were offensive linemen, a couple from this area, Nikola Milovac from Clearwater, along with James Jenkins from Carrollwood, generally on the 16-player class, 10 offense, 5 defense, 1 special teams, a couple of former Lakeland Dreadnoughts that went off to Florida and Oklahoma. In the case of the former Gator, it is Lloyd Summerall, alignment along with a defensive back, Kendall Dennis. Obviously, Coach Golish is going to attack the transfer portal for as many additions as possible. And we said there were some former Bulls with some interesting new homes. Jimmy Horn headed to join Deion Sanders with Colorado. And based on Xavier Weaver, who during this press conference you just heard, it was interesting and sort of perked up my ears when Joey Johnston asked him, was Weaver on the team? You may recall that he missed the last few games and There was some speculation that he was headed into the portal, but then Coach mentioned that he was still on the team but didn't really expound, and yeah, it turns out that that was more hopeful than anything else. Weaver is in the portal. He's gotten offers, according to his own social media, from Oklahoma, West Virginia, and yep, Colorado. Jimmy Horn and Xavier Weaver could both end up with prime time there and Deion Sanders so we won't you know follow every single former bull and where they land but those two are pretty important and leave a hole at wide receiver obviously there now as far as some of the other members of his staff and we'll just kind of go in reverse order from a couple weeks ago the new cornerbacks coach for the Bulls is Matt Burkett the last four years at James Madison which if you didn't know was top 10 in the country last year in total defense eighth as a matter of fact And two years ago, when Burkett was coaching the cornerbacks, they had 18 interceptions, with corners getting seven of them, and they led the country in takeaways. Staying on the defensive side, and these two were announced on December the 22nd, same day as early signing period, Chad Creamer, who was with Golish at Tennessee, is the new special teams coordinator and outside linebackers coach. Been at various stops at all levels, Shorter University, which is a Division II, Capital University, which is Division Three, but also 
Ohio State along with Cincinnati. Ohio State was somewhere that he, well, being from Jamestown, Ohio, wanted to go. In fact, he was a strong high school player, but he did not want to play college football. He wanted to go right into the Ohio State program, started off in the weight room, then got to work with the defensive backs there for a year. Interesting story in Chad Creamer. And you're here, special teams coordinator. He was actually a defensive analyst last year. And if you're wondering, Daniel DePrado was kind of the last hang-around coach from the Bulls that had a chance to stay there but ended up, of course, not being retained here. And he is now with Texas State out of the Sunbelt Conference. I know a lot of people wishing Coach DePrado well. He did a great job as an interim coach, but as we all know before that, outstanding work leading the special teams. Back to Golish's hires, also on that same day, the 22nd, Clay Patterson, who was part of big-time running attacks and tight ends production at Colorado and Minnesota, is the new tight ends coach for the Bulls. And then the last person added was Matt Merritt. He will be the run game coordinator along with associate head coach. He was at Georgia Southern last year and before that, yep, at Tennessee, a part of national championship staffs at both levels, James Madison and Ohio State. Now, one thing you'll notice if you run down the coaching staff on GoUSFBulls.com is no one has offensive coordinator next to their name. You got Joel Gordon. He's the quarterback's coach. Just mentioned the running game coordinator. So you got a running game coordinator, a passing game coordinator. But Coach Golish, who's going to be the offensive coordinator? Yeah, um, it's an awesome question. I think the plan right now would be that I'm going to call the plays. I think we've gotten a really, really good offensive staff. Got a bunch of guys in there that I've been with. And there's a couple of guys in there that I've been with that haven't been in the system in terms of me being the offensive coordinator. So we'll go through the spring. We're going to go through fall camp. Um, I think our offensive staff already has gelled incredibly well. There's some guys that haven't been in, in my system. So we're going we're gonna to teach the system. We're going to see how the players we've got fit the system, continue to adjust the system, and then make a decision in August if I need to be the play caller or not. Uh, through spring, through fall camp, I see myself being being the play caller in terms of being the offensive coordinator day-to-day of, of being the voice of it. We've got, there's going to end up being 12 people in there that are all going to be the voice of it. We're going to see in terms of the actual play calling part where that goes. But um, from an organizational standpoint, uh, I think we're in really, really good shape between two guys in there being able to do the day-to-day planning of scripting and installs and all that, um, and then we'll see. I'm, I'm totally comfortable continue to call plays. Uh, if there's somebody that's ready to do it in there that we feel good about, we'll have somebody else call the plays. But I think the calling of plays is probably as insignificant for the next eight months as anything else. The teaching, the installation – the repetition is the most important thing right now, and then we'll figure it out. That's a good point. We are kind of far away from playing a game, although the games for the conference did just wrap up yesterday. I was wrapped up in the two-lane comeback that gave the American a plus finish after an 0-2 start Cincinnati, losing to Louisville decidedly 24-7 to with Luke Fickle out of there. That wasn't so shocking. SMU barely falling to BYU. Then Houston got the Independence Bowl in frigid Shreveport over Louisiana. Then it was two more wins back last Tuesday, making it three and two for the conference. Memphis rolling Utah State in Dallas, and then East Carolina doing the same in Birmingham to Coastal, 53-29. Back to 500 as UCF laid an egg against Duke, and then of course Tulane made it four and three for the league. 
we will get back to going around the American. Tomorrow will be the catch-up around the American show because, of course, not just football, but a bunch of basketball since we last left. Oh, yes, speaking of basketball, that's coming up next. We'll take you through the last couple of weeks and preview tonight's women's basketball game. Oh, yeah, there are a couple more sports to add to the slate starting in the spring schedule really, really soon. We are definitely back on the beat and back giving you a lot more. We can also tell you that there's going to be more bull speeds ahead with Michael Kelly. Kind of took a hiatus with the coaching search, but that is scheduled to become an every Friday show once again here really soon. Hope you've been enjoying the top 22 games of 22 as we laid those out for you last week. We'll continue to do that for another week or so. The number one game was the men's soccer team beating Hofstra in the NCAA tournament. That was a tough one because, you know, there were some great games to pick from this year. The men's soccer team itself had several candidates for the top spot. I definitely wanted to go with them because, well, they were the only team, if you look at it, to win an NCAA tournament game outside of softball. And the softball team went and lost the next two games in the regional situation. In fact, the softball win in the conference tournament was our number three game of the year. And yeah, we had to go with a loss at the number two spot because that football game against Florida was so incredible. So a lot of games to listen back to, and we'll continue to sprinkle those in along with our live basketball offerings this week and beyond. Then it'll be time for baseball and softball before you know it. But basketball is the one sport now. It's all going to change really, really soon, but we'll preview tonight's women's game. We'll also give you some of the highlights from the last few contests for the Bulls. Not ranked yet, and I know a lot of people are frustrated about that. I'll sort of calm you down if I can. And yes, what a game for men's basketball last week. They just fell short, but I wanted to highlight one particular performance, so we'll do all that when we return on Bulls Beat. Back to the beat. Bulls Beat continues with Derek Sharp. we got basketball tonight here for you. We've had well, more than a handful of games since we last left the air. We'll give you a little quick sweep through what has taken place, of course, with the women's basketball team, which is playing tonight at home against Temple. A strange airtime considering there's no double header, but now you know why. It's a national television game. That's why we're playing at 5 o'clock, so we'll hit the air at 4.45. And it'll be great to have Bridget Miranda. In fact, the entire month of December, we only had two home games, and she had a previous obligation during one of them, so we only had one game together in the last month. We'll be back courtside at the Yingling Center. Been on the road. San Diego was quite the experience. The Bulls nearly take down the number three and still undefeated Ohio State Buckeyes, who since edging the Bulls in overtime, 88-86, turned around and rolled in the championship game against Oregon and have rolled since then. So the Bulls really pushed the Buckeyes. This is a team that had and still has one of the most respected guards in the country, a three-point Mark's person, Taylor Mikesell, ESPN, which does a great job of covering the sport of women's basketball, basically had its entire panel that covers the sport come together and pick their current top 25 players in the country. And Mikesell was in that list, and no Bulls even got a vote. Well, when they played head to head, there was a certain Bull that had a pretty good game 34 points and 17 rebounds, while Mikesell herself did not hit a three-point shot until, well, a fateful period of overtime. She was 2-for-13 and only scored 8 against the Bulls, but Ohio State did have a couple other players, namely Cody McMahon, who was outstanding. 30 points, got to the line a ton, 
Ironically, the one time she missed a free throw. Well, we'll get there in a second. But let's go back to the beginning of that game in San Diego because, again, this is a team that wasn't really challenged much in its 11-0 start. And the Bulls did more than just challenge them right from the start. Across to Brito, open is Dulcie. Nice little flip pass and puts it up and in. Nice job there breaking the pressure. And you've got to make yourself available as Brito did there. It's 4-0. They like to go off their fast break, but they haven't had a chance to yet here today. Open three is missed by McMahon. She's not their best three-point shooter. Bulls look to go the other way quickly. They will try and score quickly when they can. Oh, Chinecki drives, squeezes open three, looks short. Oh, it's banked in. She just put her hands up like, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Of course, the Bulls will take it. Now she sends it over to Ariel Wilson, whipped pass to Dulcie. They're going to single team her. She switches hands. Dulcie Fancomenciato is off to a fantastic start. Showing the left-handed shot there. That is something I can tell you we have not seen either have the Buckeyes. Three and a half minutes to go. They've only turned it over once truly against a trap. Oh, that's a great pass by Sammy, and Dulcie can't be stopped. Dulcie Fankamengiadu has 10 points, and the Bulls extend their lead to 15-7 at the 3-10 mark. Ohio State does not have an answer. Kineki helps out. Now Danny Gonzalez has Pusis wide open. That looks better. Three-pointer for Sammy Puisis, 24-11. Very, very poised play. Maria Alvarez in for Ariel Wilson. Almost forces a turnover. In fact, does. Bad pass. Chinecki tries to go one on three. Can she take Mike Sell? Answer yes. Elena Chinecki forces a timeout on the other side. The Bulls are cruising here in San Diego. With 8.28 to go in the first half, it's USF 26, Ohio State 11. Now Gonzalez trapped, but Maria flashes and almost fumbles it away, but Puises wide open for three, looks good, and it is. Sammy Puises, they're breaking that pressure and getting open looks, and it's 29 to 13 USF. An incredible score line, and the Buckeyes just weren't able to do what they normally do, which is dial up the full court pressure. They entered that game, forcing nearly 16 steals a game, which led the country and the fewest turnovers their opponent had had in any one game was 20. Constant full-court pressure, unless you're not making your shots. Eventually, they started making their shots, but you kind of had to be ready for all of that. Remember, they had been down double digits twice and ended up winning both of those games by double digits, talking about against Louisville and Tennessee. So the fact that Ohio State, especially fueled by its defense, came back, the Bulls, you would just hope, would be able to withstand it. It ended up being able to do so. The Bulls maintained their advantage. It was 39-30 at the half. Lead got back up to 13 in the third quarter. It ended up still being a nine-point game heading into the fourth, and then on a Sammy Puises three, she was great. They led 63-50. That's when Ohio State got back in the game. A 12-0 run with two three-point plays by their outstanding sophomore Taylor Theory, who's a, just a nonstop offensive rebounding sort. And both times, though, the Bulls had secured a defensive rebound and just coughed it up. The turnovers caught up to them. They were able to shake it off and get the game to overtime. And then, after falling behind by two, how about an 8 nothing technical foul-fueled run for a six-point lead? Mike Sell over to Theory. She looks to drive, changes hands, and misses. And Dulcie swipes in for the rebound. Puisis with some solid defense there. Theory was just hoping to force the contact. So the Bulls with the lead. And the ball and a technical foul on Ohio State. And Kevin McGuff, they were demanding a foul there on Theory. And I told you, Puises laid off. What a big break here for the Bulls potentially. You know Sammy Puises is going to be taking these. Only missed two. Puts that one up quickly and makes it. Four 
point lead and the basketball, 82 to 78. And I swear at this point that the Bulls can just hang on to the ball. Turns out that wasn't actually the problem. They led by six with a minute to go. Ebony Walker, as Ohio State was hurting, they had already been without J.C. Sheldon, still are their outstanding point guard and defensive menace. And then Madison Green, who was playing a great point guard, turns out tore her ACL late in regulation. So they were down some ball handlers. And if the Bulls could just hold on to the ball themselves, well, after Ohio State cut it to four, the Bulls tried to hold on to the ball and did. Wanted to run the shot clock down. And then with five seconds on it, Elena Chnecki drives to the basket. She gets tied up. Good defensive play. And, of course, the arrow is favoring Ohio State. That was with about 30 seconds left. Then the fateful moment. Who knew that a team missing a free throw could help them out so much? It ended up with a four-point game-tying trip by a person who was 10 for 10 at the line. If Cody McMahon makes his free throw, yeah, they cut it to two, but the Bulls should get the ball, right? Didn't work out that way. Here's how the game ended. Hard to believe she only played five minutes in the game at Louisville. She's showing up for this one, cuts it to three. You gotta get the ball in bounds. That one's off, and the Bulls can't get the rebound. Mike Sale has it, they're down by three. Looks good from this angle, it is. 15 seconds left. Danny Gonzalez had the position on the missed free throw, but she didn't go for the ball. No Dulcie to go to. Maria, Brito, Chinecki, Puisis, and Danny Gonzalez. Brito is gonna inbounds the ball. She gets it to Chinecki right side. It's gonna drive to the basket. It opens up, her shot is blocked. Ohio State looks to run with 10 seconds to go. McMahon over to Theory. Ohio State leads with six seconds to go. The Bulls did not hold for a last shot, and Chinecki Missed, 88-86, Chinecki gets it turned over at midcourt, Puisis has it, gets it across midcourt, has to put it up, double dribbles, and the game is over. The Bulls are going to lose. Boy, do they mishandle that. So you know, we just talked about the top 22 games of 2022, that would have been number one, but for those few seconds there. And yeah, Taylor Mike Sell, who was 0 for 6 on three-point shooting, sunk that shot. The Bulls held her to 8, held Rebecca Mikulasilova to two points, those are their top two scores. The next day against Oregon, as Ohio State rolled 84-67, Nikola Silova hit five threes and scored 27. Mike Sell hit five threes and scored 25. So the Bulls did a lot right and just couldn't close it. I mentioned Penka Mangiati with 34 points and 17 rebounds. Sammy Puisis was five for 13 on three, scored 20. Elena Chinecki mixed bag in that one, 15 points, but nine turnovers. The Bulls turned it over 21 times. But Chinecki also played the defense on Mike Seltz. So who was going to be the unlucky 0-2 team out of four great teams, two that entered San Diego undefeated? The Bulls go up against Arkansas in the third-place game. The Razorbacks entered town undefeated and 17th in the country. And the Bulls, unfortunately, a little predictably, just didn't have the same energy and they didn't have the offense in the second quarter, scoring just five points. They were down 27-18. to 18. But they scored 27 themselves in the third quarter and actually took a five-point lead. We'll just give you the details here, no highlights, because we are going to replay the full game this afternoon and Friday night's win in New Orleans, and that'll be sort of your build-up to our coverage that begins at 445 today against Temple. Preview that in a second. But they beat Arkansas. In overtime, an overtime period that saw only one made field goal. It was by Chinecki, who had a massive game, 9 for 17, hit three three-pointers, scored 23 on a day where Sammy Puisis didn't have her stroke going. 
It was Chenecki carrying the mail. We will play the end of the game as definitely Arkansas had a chance and you were worried that another heartbreaking loss in overtime could happen. And I'm sure they want Barnum to have a shot here. Barnum is the one that likes to drive to the basket. They're gonna have Poffenberger underneath with 15 and a half seconds to go. There's Daniels off the screen, Alvarez on her. They hand it off to Spencer. She's more of a shooter than a driver, but she's gonna put her head down. Danny Gonzalez with some great defense. Out to Carr, she can't pull the trigger with six seconds left. Drives the lane for a wild shot, no good. Gonzalez flies in for the rebound, Dulcie grabs it. It's a hell ball with less than a second to go and the Bulls are gonna win. Dulcie Fankamangiato, incidentally, eight for 11 in that game. Even though they kind of slowed her down, they changed their defense on her after a quick start. Ended up with 16 points and 12 rebounds and rightfully, was the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. Now, one thing that did not happen in San Diego was the Bulls just did not get contributions from their bench outside of Maria Alvarez with the critical getting fouled, trying a three, making all three free throws late in regulation there against Arkansas. And, of course, Danny Gonzalez. I say, of course, she has been the one staple, the freshman power forward, in fact, played 29 minutes in that game against Arkansas. Even though Carla Brito has been the starter, Gonzalez has gotten more minutes in now three straight games, including on Friday night as the Bulls defeat Tulane 69-61. You knew this was going to be a good game, and it was. Tulane brought in a actually better win-loss record, but as you know, the Bulls have a much better schedule. The Bulls have played six teams that are ranked inside the net top 25, and only one for Tulane. That was an Alabama team that, as you know, the Bulls beat and Tulane did not. However, this game stayed really close throughout. Bulls could not shake loose until the end of the third quarter where they ran off four quick points on this key sequence. Chenecki will take those two. How about that? Off the inbounds, a floater, and then a steal by Sammy with seven seconds left, plenty of time. Bulls up 47-40. Pieces drives and lays it in at the horn. What an ending to the quarter. They would score early in the fourth. Danny Gonzalez, by the way, who subbed in for again starting power forward fellow freshman Carla Brito. About three and a half minutes into the second half, folks, that was the only substitution Jose Fernandez made. They stayed with those five the rest of the way. So I would guess that tonight the Bulls want to extend the bench just a little bit, but in this close game throughout, they were not going to mess around. 69-61 ended up being the final. Tulane got it to three a couple of times and had a look at a three off a of steal that would have cut it to one with 20 seconds left, but it rimmed out. Elena Chinecki, 25 points. She lands on the American Athletic Conference Weekly Honor Roll. The player of the week is from tonight's opponent. That would be the Temple Owls, who come in with a 6-7 and seven record. New head coach Diane Richardson put her team to the test as far as scheduling went. That's why they're below 500. They lost to Princeton, which started the season ranked. They lost to St. John's, which, if you didn't know, is ranked, hasn't lost yet. They lost a close one to Villanova at home, so they had a tough schedule, and now they bounce back to win four of their last six. One of those losses was by one point to a solid Penn team, and the other was by 20 points to Ole Miss. Speaking of rankings, Bulls only get seven votes in the new AP poll, and here's why they scheduled strong, as I said on Twitter, so strongly in the non-conference. Friday night was, not theoretically, it was in actuality the best chance you're going to see for the Bulls to up their computer ranking in conference because you get more credit for a road win and they were playing the second highest ranked team. That would be Tulane. The win on the road at Tulane only moved them up one spot in the net ranking. So the only way really 
for the Bulls to end up with a ranking inside the top 40 is to maybe only lose once in conference and or continue to have the teams you beat win. And here's the thing, many of them are. Now, teams that you would have expected to be better, like TCU perhaps and Georgia Tech especially, are dropping down the rankings. But teams that you thought the Bulls would have pushed out of, say, the top 25 have gotten themselves back in there, namely Alabama and Texas, two teams the Bulls have defeated. So I still think because of those wins and because of beating Arkansas, the Bulls are not going to have to win the conference tournament to make the NCAA tournament. But if they want that better seed, instead of being in that 8-9 spot and being sent off to a number one seed, yeah, you got to keep on winning and probably take the conference championship. We are just one game in tonight. Again, plan accordingly. We'll be on the air at 445 Temple, 6-7. and seven. But thinking of conference play as a new start, and did they start off well against Memphis winning 80-69, to 69, led by Aaliyah Nelson, who last year at Towson was an all-colonial type player, hit a bunch of threes. She's hit a bunch of threes lately, had seven in one game recently while scoring 33 against Duquesne. The other night was six of 12 on threes, 20 points, eight rebounds, six assists, and no turnovers. Just the third player, I don't know who did this math, but just the third player since 2009-10 that had 20 points, eight rebounds, six assists, two steals, six made threes, and no turnovers in a game. They did lose their outstanding freshman point guard from last year due to injury, Anaya Gordine, but they have a lot of talent, and as I told you, they've scheduled up, so they are not going to be intimidated by coming up against the Bulls at the Yingling Center. The men play tomorrow night, also by coincidence, against Temple, so we'll give you some of the highlights of what you might have missed over the last four games since we did a show. But we definitely wanted to highlight one performance in last week's incredible game against Memphis. Yes, the Bulls collapsed at the end. Again, we'll talk about it on tomorrow's show, and you'll hear from Brian Gregory. But what Sorrell Smith did was unbelievable. 10-10 to go in the first half. Bulls down by 8, 25-17. Selton Miguel shakes free, kicks it right side. Sorrell Smith spots it for three. Got it! And Selton Miguel with a crossover ankle breaker that set up Smith on the right wing. Bingo. And Sorrell Smith was ready for that shot, and he switched it. Here's Lawson with a bit of a travel, got away with it. Offensive rebound for Memphis, or was it? No, here's Keyshawn Bryant. He's coming down alone, and he dunks it with one hand. He threw it down hard with the left, and the Bulls are right back in this thing down three. Quickly, the Bulls the other way. Sorrell Smith stop and pop. Long distance three. Got it to go. Sorrell Smith. How about that? He wasn't going to wait for his teammates to catch up. He's got 10 in the game, and Sorrell Smith is in double figures for the first time this season. Conwell in the corner to Sorrell Smith. Loads up another three and knocked that down. Sorrell Smith, the St. Pete assassin, has 13. <laughs> Conwell out near midcourt. Lefty going left. He's going to go to the basket. Now fires into the corner to Sorrell Smith. Relocates. Steps back for three. Got another one! Sorrell Smith, a step back Lillard-esque three. He's got 16. Tied game. Terrell Smith is 5 of 5, and four of those are three-pointers. Would end up 5 for 6 on threes and scoring 21, which tied his career high. His previous three games, he had scored two against Dartmouth and none against Hofstra and NJIT. So the Bulls definitely had a chance, up 10. Probably know what happened after that. Again, we'll talk more about them on tomorrow's show, but I definitely wanted to give Sorrell Smith a mention there. Tonight we'll be on the air at 445. We'll recap it on tomorrow's Bulls Beat. Thanks for tuning in and glad to be back on the beat. I'm Derek Sharp.